0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to have you here with us this morning. Today, we're going to continue our study of Ephesians. And uh, today, we're in Ephesians chapter 3. We're looking at the first half of Ephesians 3. And what we're going to see in this portion of Scripture is that there's, there's discussion of something that's hidden. And you're going to see the Apostle Paul bring this up, this idea that what was hidden has been made known. And it's kind of interesting because he also ties it in with this thought of, the proclamation that the Lord can make from, from the lips of somebody who is devoted to Him. And so, we have the privilege to make known this information that was once hidden, and Paul demonstrates that here in this portion of Scripture. So, turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. Ephesians chapter 3, starting with verse 1. This is what it says. For this reason I, Paul So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to come together this morning and to worship you and to lift up your name in praise and to be able to start off our week gathered together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're just so grateful, Lord, for this privilege. And Lord, we know that this is the pattern that you encouraged your church to follow, So, Lord, we seek to follow this to glorify You. We seek to follow this pattern also because You make investments in our lives through the people that we are around. And, Lord, we know that it can be very easy at times for us to think that somehow we can accomplish our own spiritual maturity in our own strength or in our own wisdom or in our own effort, but that's not the pattern You've given to us in Your Word. Your Word demonstrates to us, and it makes it very, very clear that for us to grow in our walk with you, we need to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, Lord, thank you for giving us the opportunity to carve out time where we can actually do that. And we even see that idea conveyed in the portion of Scripture that we're looking at together today from Ephesians 3, where it talks about two different groups being made into one. So, Lord, thank you for the unity that's described here. Thank you for the unity that we have the privilege to live out And thank you, Lord, for your blessings and and for the fact that you've called us unto yourself. So we commit this time to you and we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I know you already know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. But from time to time, I've been known to play some jokes on my family. All right. So that's something that is part of the culture of our household. It's just kind of how our home operates. It's not the most mature aspect of my personality. Uh, and to be honest, it's actually a little bit hypocritical because I don't actually enjoy sometimes when they play jokes on me, so I'm kind of being a bit hypocritical, but I guess it is what it is, right? But at this point, three of my four children are drivers, and those same three children also own their own cars. So when they, when they bought their vehicles, I asked them to give me copies of the keys of those vehicles for a variety of reasons. I knew that it was very likely that that would come in handy for a variety of reasons, and it certainly has come in handy more times than I can remember. But one particular afternoon, I happened to be driving through town, and um, I took advantage of the fact that I had keys to my oldest daughter's car. I happened to notice it parked in the shopping center right down here by the four corners, and I thought, oh, that that's, that's Hannah's car. <laughs> And so I, I pulled into the parking lot while she was in a store, and I, I unlocked her car, and I, I started it up, and then I moved it to a completely different location. You saw exactly where that was going, right? I moved it to a completely different location, but even worse, then I sat in my car, parked where she wouldn't see, and I just sat there, and I watched, and I giggled. And I'm thinking, you have to grow up. Like, you, you have to be a responsible person. But then I also thought, Not today. And, uh, and so I just was watching, and I was waiting for her to emerge, and then finally she emerged, and she's walking around the lot, and she's looking, and I know what she's thinking. She's thinking, wait, I go here a lot, but I, in my mind, I parked the car here or close to here, and she's confused. She's trying to locate her car. She's questioning her judgment. She's questioning her sanity. And then when I felt like the joke had gone on long enough, I emerged from my car, And then I solved the mystery for her. I showed her where her car happened to be. And thankfully, she's a good sport. And to her credit, she laughed about it and actually thought it was funny. And I even thought in the moment, I was like, she is a much better sport than I would have been. I I don't think I would have been that good of a sport, but she was a good sport. And I bring that up because in a strange way, it actually ties to this portion of Scripture that we're looking at. Because when she came out of that store, she was confused. There was information she needed to know but didn't know. So there was a mystery, right? It was mysterious. What happened to the car? She couldn't figure it out. And when you look at Ephesians chapter 3, when you look at these opening verses here, it tells us about a prophetic mystery, speaks about a mystery that was kept hidden for, for many generations until God chose to make it known. It wasn't something that was clearly enunciated in the Old Testament. And uh, it's a, a mystery that directly benefits every man or woman who's part of the church through faith in Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul was explaining the mystery to us, but also showing us the direct benefit. So I want to work our way through these opening verses here of chapter three today and show us what this mystery looks like and and show us the, the fact that it's to our benefit that what was hidden has now been made known. But one of the things here that he starts demonstrating by what he explains is that through Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, we've been granted spiritual insight. And Paul demonstrates that through the insight or through the revelation. That was given to him. When you look at the first few verses, let me reread them for us. Here, the way Paul says it is like this He says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Then he says in verse 3, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. And then he says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So you notice this repetition of the word mystery, right? He's repeating it. It means something specific. He says, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery, so again, he says that word again, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So let's pause there for just a a, a second and kind of think about the context and some of the things Paul's saying here. But as Paul was writing this spiritually rich letter, and by the way, if you're a new Christian and you want to get a a deeper level understanding of some of the theological background of, of your new faith, read the book of Ephesians. It's a great primer in deeper level theology. And so you have the Apostle Paul, he's writing this this spiritually rich letter, but please keep in mind where he was when he was writing this. Paul was in the midst of a multiple year home confinement, a home imprisonment in Rome. Now there are certainly worse forms of imprisonment than that, but I am confident That that was miserable at times for the Apostle Paul to endure. It wasn't a pleasant experience. And yet he also had a clear understanding of why he was called to endure this. He knew that there was a purpose for this. Uh, This was the result of his willingness to make the gospel known in the midst of a very hostile and unbelieving culture. And he would not stop proclaiming the gospel as the Lord gave him the opportunity to do so. So now he was in prison, He was under home confinement. But he was willing to endure this because of two things, his love for Jesus Christ and also his love for the church and desire to see the church built up and encouraged and, and, and growing. Now, clearly, you know, when you look at, at the Apostle Paul's life and you look at some of the things that he did, Paul was a guy that was on the move. Paul was a guy that traveled place to place. He was a person of action. He wasn't somebody that I imagine spent a whole lot of time sitting around doing nothing. And so when I think about, I, I, if I was Paul and I was imprisoned as many times as he ended up being imprisoned because of his proclamation of the gospel, I could see my, my, in my own personality a frustration developing. And you would wonder, all right, Lord, if you've, if you've called me to preach the gospel, why am I confined here? Why am I under home confinement? Why am I imprisoned in a traditional prison? Why, why are these things continuing to happen to me? Well, I believe that one of the reasons that the Lord allowed these things to happen to the Apostle Paul, there's a variety of them, but I think one of the reasons was to give him ample time to pause from his labor so he could sit down and write out these many letters that he included, that the Lord included in the New Testament, so that you and I could be sitting here 2,000 years later reading these things and meditating on these things and learning deeper level doctrine. And so as the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write these letters, Paul was taking this moment to explain deeper level theology to the church. And in this passage in particular, you have Paul speaking of a mystery. And this was a mystery that he says he was shown by divine revelation. This wasn't something he just figured out. It wasn't one of those things that he just kind of looked at things and said, you know what makes sense? Maybe this connects to this and this connects to this. It wasn't like that. Paul speaks of this mystery being revealed to him. Now, when he speaks of a mystery, what he's talking about here is something that wasn't made known in the past. So he's saying this was information that wasn't fully revealed. This was information that was concealed. So this is something that if you lived during the Old Testament era, you would not have fully understood. You could see certain shades of it. You could see certain hints toward it, but it was never explicitly stated. This was information that God was waiting to reveal at a later time. And the mystery that the Lord revealed to Paul and this has direct benefit to every single one of us gathered together in this room, and anyone who might be listening to this recording later on, the mystery that, that the Lord revealed to Paul was that the Gentiles who came to faith in Jesus Christ would be united to the Jews who came to faith in Jesus Christ, and they would be united into one body called the church. That we would be one body, that together we would both share the same inheritance that together we would become joint partakers of the promises that are given to us through Jesus Christ in his gospel now in the old testament when you're reading through the old testament you can see a variety of references to the fact that the day was coming when the gentiles would believe in the lord that wasn't the mystery right when you look in the old testament you could see there's there's all sort of prophetic references to the fact that the gentiles would one day believe in the lord but it wasn't yet revealed in the Old Testament era, that the Jews and the Gentiles would be united into one body. And so that's what Paul's talking about here. Now, when was this revelation given to Paul? Do You ever wonder about that? Because think about Paul's example. Paul's doing his ministry. It, Paul He was an apostle, but he, he didn't walk around and travel with Jesus during the course of Christ's three-year earthly ministry, right? So when was this revelation given to Paul? When were these things told to him? Well, people speculate when it could have been, and maybe you know there are portions of it that were given to him in one moment, portions that were given to him in another moment, but Scripture gives us multiple examples of Paul's interaction with Jesus after Christ's resurrection. So after the resurrection of Christ, Paul was interacting with Jesus. Now we see their first interaction in Acts chapter 9. Uh, that was when Paul was on the road to Damascus. He, was, he had orders to go and, and arrest and persecute believers, and he was going to fulfill that, and Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. We also, seeing, we also see Paul being told these things, or speaking of these things, I should say, in the book of Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians 1, he's referencing when it happened, but let me show you what he says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 12. He says this, he says, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So he keeps making, you know, there's examples of of him interacting with Jesus, but there's also this direct discussion where Paul is saying, all right, here's the thing. I didn't receive this from man. I received this from Jesus Christ. It's also believed that for a period of time, Jesus trained the apostle Paul and spoke to him when he was in Arabia. So you have these things taking place, and Paul's saying, right, this isn't something the other apostles made clear to me. This isn't something I figured out on my own. I wasn't wasn't just deducing these things. Jesus himself taught me these things. And amazingly, and just think about this as we look at this together today, you and I are blessed with spiritual insight into these things as we read the words that the apostle Paul wrote down. And as we come to understand the concepts that are spoken of here as the Holy Spirit enables us to understand these things. That's a real blessing for you and I. These are not things that we would have figured out on our own. These are things that were revealed and then passed down to us and the Holy Spirit helps us to understand the things that we're reading here. So what a blessing that is to be able to read and comprehend and think about ideas that, that even the ancient prophets were not aware of. What a blessing it is to live in this era. You and I get to live in a period of time where the things that the ancient prophets looked into and couldn't naturally figure out, you and I get the opportunity to know these things because the Lord's taken the time to reveal them. Is that not a blessing? I mean, like, that's a pretty cool aspect about living during the era that you and I live in right now. And what a blessing it is to have access to the scriptures as we have them. And not only can we comprehend these things, right, as the Holy Spirit makes us able to comprehend them, but the Holy Spirit also enables us to live these things out, So you and I actually have the opportunity to live out what it means to be the church. And that's what we're studying as we're going through the book of Ephesians. We're seeing God's eternal purpose for the church. And that's not just talking about an organization or a group of people separate from us. That's talking about us. It's talking about you. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're part of that. These are promises and blessings that directly pertain to God's relationship with us. And so Paul rejoiced over that. We have the opportunity to rejoice over that as well. But There's something else here that this portion of Scripture illustrates that I think is pretty useful to see, and that's that that grace is given to seemingly unlikely candidates. Now, why am I saying that? I'm saying that because that's how Paul describes it when you go to verses 7 through 9. He says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, although I am... And notice how he says this here, all right? Uh, By the way, do you know anyone in your life who who tends to brag a lot? Like, do you know a bragger, right? Look at how Paul, someone who's historically known, and you and I are talking about and reading his writing, a couple thousand years after he wrote it down, and he says this of himself. He says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. Isn't that fascinating that that's how he describes himself? And not just once. But here he says it, this is one of the times he says it, he says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. It's a very interesting set of comments that he makes here. Now, uh, I was just interacting with uh, this gentleman that I'm about to reference just a few weeks ago, uh, the pastor of my home church. And I think I've shared his story at least once before. But the, the pastor of the church I grew up at He's been serving there for quite a while now. In, in, um, in fact, I actually helped him move into his home a week before I graduated high school. So I think about that as, as uh, you know, I, now my wife and I have children in college. You know, I'm thinking back to, you know, a week before I graduated high school, I helped the pastor of my home church move into his home. And um, one of the things that he frequently tells is the story of how he came to faith in Jesus Christ. So as a young man, he was not doing very well. You know, when, even when you look back at, at pictures of him from that period of time, you could tell he was not in a good spot. Uh, he looked like a pretty rough guy. Uh, under his own admission, he was doing a lot of drugs during that time. He says that was the season of his life. He says, I was smoking a lot of pot. It was pretty much uh, part of my, my daily activity or as often as I could get it. And um, he wasn't the type of guy that people found very easy to trust. But he was looking for some work. And one of the men in the, a, a local church right there in his town in Johnson City, New York, actually suggested that the church hire this guy as their custodian. By the way, I found out who, um, who that guy that, that happened to suggest that to the church was. And this really cracked me up because it actually has a direct connection to our church here. Josh, do you know it was your grandfather that suggested that? Did you know that? I just found that out. It was your grandfather Who suggested that? I didn't know that. All right, I just found that out from him. So Josh's grandfather suggested to the church, "You should hire this guy." So there are a lot of people in the church that you can imagine disagreed. They're like, "You're saying that's the guy we should give keys to our building?" They're like, "Yeah, you should you should give that guy who's high half the time keys to the building and just let him have his way in this building here and clean it and work on things here." So there are a lot of people in the church that disagreed, but enough people on their board agreed to do it, and so they hired him. Ironically, when they hired him, uh, he met his wife in that church uh, sometime after that, but when his wife's parents first saw the new custodian, (laughs) who is the same age as their daughter, they said, if there's ever someone we don't want our daughter to marry, that's the guy. (laughs) Surprise, right? You never know. So in time, while working at the church, he was introduced to the gospel, and he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And then soon after, he felt compelled to enroll in Bible college and then seminary. And what he ended up doing was showing a very strong aptitude aptitude for for understanding Scripture, very strong aptitude for understanding uh, theology. And eventually, he was called into the pastorate, and he's been serving in the pastorate ever since. And many people would have thought that was very, very unlikely if they had seen him at an earlier season of life. They would not have predicted that for his future. They would not have thought that that's how the Lord was going to work in his life. And when you look at the Apostle Paul's early life, and when you look at the years that he spent hating Jesus and hating anyone who trusted in Jesus, Paul would have been the first person to admit that he seemed like the least likely person to come to faith in Jesus, because he legitimately hated Jesus. He was devoting his life, imagine this, he had devoted his life at that point to persecuting those who followed Jesus, to actually putting them in prison because they followed Jesus Christ. But then he comes to faith in Jesus and he devotes the rest of his life to serving the church and making the gospel of Christ known far and wide and ultimately gives his life in the process. Isn't that amazing to see what the Lord did for the apostle Paul? Would have seemed like the most unlikely candidate in his generation, but now he was given new life through Christ. He was making ample use of that great blessing. And the way Paul describes what the Lord did in his life, he describes himself here basically saying that he was made a minister of God's grace. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I don't know what you want your job title to say, but wouldn't that be nice to just say that about uh, each of us? Like, wouldn't that just be a cool way to just think of your life as just your philosophy of living? Like, who are you? What do you do? I'm a minister of God's grace. That's what I want to be, a minister of God's grace. And that's what Paul realized. This is what the Lord's made me. I used, to be, I used to be like an arm of local punishment, and now I'm a minister of God's grace. And you could see the power of God demonstrated through the apostle Paul's life. Paul was empowered. He was given opportunity to preach the, the unsearchable riches of Christ, as he speaks about this here, to an unbelieving world. And the Lord used him as a light in a very dark place. And when you look at what the culture was like that Paul was preaching to, it was a very dark culture that he was preaching to. And the Lord used him as a light in the midst of that darkness, and God spoke through the Apostle Paul, and he made his plan for humanity known through the Apostle Paul, and it was amazing to witness it, and it's encouraging to to read it and meditate on it and think about it, even as some of these details apply to, to your life and my life and our walk with Christ, as we see this happening in Paul's life, it's encouraging to think about. And I think that this is a good portion of Scripture for us to be revisiting from time to time. Especially if you happen to think of yourself as an unlikely candidate for God to do a miraculous work through. I don't know what kind of resume you think you have to have, but I'll tell you what you don't have to go to Bible college or seminary, even though those things are fine and good, but you don't have to have those credentials to be a minister of God's grace. You don't have to have a title that appears before your name to be a minister of God's grace. You don't have to be somebody that the world recognizes with some sort of accolade, and you don't have to have some sort of impressive resume to be a minister of God's grace. You may feel like you're the most unlikely candidate for God to do something amazing through, and yet you look at the Apostle Paul's story, and you look at the, the story of the pastor from my home church, and I'm sure that many of us in this room can testify to the fact that at one point in our life, someone would have said that right there, is the most unlikely candidate for God to do something in and through. But here's the thing I know about God. God delights to show His grace to unlikely candidates and then demonstrate His grace through them. And if you're willing to entrust your life over to Him, get ready to experience some amazing surprises when He shows you what He plans to do with your life once you submit it over to Him. Get ready, because he'll surprise you, and he'll do things in your life that are beyond what your natural expectations happen to be. And you don't have to be impressive by worldly standards to be on God's radar for him to be willing to do that very thing in and through you. Something else that Paul brings up in this portion of Scripture that I hope we'll also find encouraging is that the wisdom of God is demonstrated through these people that God is ultimately working through, through the church, right? Right? Look at what Paul says in verse 10. He says, that, "...so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places." Do you notice that line? The rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. Now, this isn't the only spot that Paul references what's going on in the spirit realm in the book of Ephesians. In fact, when we get to the end of the book, we're going to see kind of a lot about that. And, um, and so he's alluding to some of this here. But he says, it's so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So it's exciting to see God work, isn't it? Like when God answers your prayers, when God does something amazing in your own life, when God does something for somebody that that you love and you care about. I know earlier this week, many of us were praying for a young girl named Marley. Marley's in fourth grade. Marley was dealing with some very serious back surgery. She coded twice in the midst of that surgery, her family was asking for prayer. I I shared that with our church family. We were all praying for her during the course of this week, and then a day after that surgery, uh, she recovered from it, and they shared a picture of her walking around with the help of, of some nurses walking around through the hallway of the hospital, and you look at that, and you think, all right, that is a testimony to the miraculous hand of God At work, And it's exciting to see what God does. It's exciting to see his hand at work in in medical situations, in relational situations, in impossible things that we look at and we would say, all right, from a human perspective, this is impossible. If God doesn't intervene in this specific thing, this is impossible. This naturally can't be accomplished. And as we watch God doing what he's doing, keep in mind, we're not the only people looking. We're not the only ones watching the hand of God at work. So just like you and I are learning and growing in our understanding, so too are spiritual beings. That's what the Scripture is revealing. Think about this for a second. Now, that puzzles some people. Some people think, what do you mean, that like, like angels? Don't they know everything? Don't you sometimes think the angels probably just know everything? Do you ever think that? Well, when you look at what Scripture teaches, Scripture is very clear that that only God has the, the, uh, the, the nature of omniscience, right? Only he is omniscient. That's one of the things that makes him unique. He's not a created being that is learning. He is the creator. He is all-knowing. He is omniscient. And only he is omniscient. Human beings are not omniscient. The angels are not omniscient. The demons are not omniscient. Satan is not omniscient, And here you have the Apostle Paul expressing the fact that just like we're growing and we're learning in our understanding, so too are the spiritual beings. So when God reveals spiritual mysteries, He's making these things clear. He's not only revealing these things to us as humans. These are things that are also being revealed to, as Paul describes them here, to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. That Just like you and I look at this and we're saying, wow, so too do the angels. They look at what God's up to and they say, wow. And the demons look and they shudder. And isn't it amazing to think that the angels would be observing the miraculous work that God's doing in and through the church, and they would look at the hand of God at work in the church, meaning in your life and my life, and they would marvel at that, that, they are, that they're learning something new about the nature of God and His plan and His will when they watch how God takes rebels like us and makes us family. And they marvel at it. And they give Him praise for it. And they're being being given new reasons over and over and over again to praise Jesus. When they see Jews and Gentiles being united into one body, the church. When they see the Lord do miraculous things in the lives of those whose hearts We're so hardened against Him, and He rescues and He redeems us. But let's make this even more personal. God is demonstrating His power and His wisdom to the spiritual realm through your life and what He's doing in it. Has that ever occurred to you in a very personal way? Not just a theoretical way, not just in a group-type statement, but that through your life, The spiritual realm can look at what God is doing through your life, and they can learn more about His will and about His heart, and can find new reasons to give Him praise and give Him glory, as they observe and they learn by observing what He's doing through you. That's amazing, isn't it? And Paul teaches that here, and he goes one step further, and this is where we'll finish today. And I think it's very applicable to your life and to my life, but that's this. Let your faith in Christ produce boldness in your life. Now, why would he say that in conjunction with the things that we just read? Well, look at what he says in verses 11 through 13. He says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So think about what's happened to us in Christ. In Christ, we are rescued. Scripture tells us that in Christ, we are redeemed. In Christ, we are granted a life that is both abundant and eternal. From eternity past, it's always been the Father's intention to accomplish these things, through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. That's been his intention from eternity past. The scripture makes that clear as well. In Christ, we're also shown here that we're given confident access to the Father's throne. So that means we can come before him boldly, knowing that we're welcomed into his presence because we're dearly loved. And when he looks at us, he sees his son living within us. And as Paul was writing these things down, he was rejoicing in the midst of his suffering. This was not an easy season for him to go through. This required a lot of patience. This required a lot of trust. This is the type of thing that stretched his faith as he was dealing with this confinement in Rome. But he was still able to rejoice in his suffering. Again, even though it was unpleasant for him to be imprisoned, but that did not stop him from being a bold witness for Christ in the midst of that generation. The threat of imprisonment, the threat of death, did not stop the Apostle Paul from being a bold witness for Christ in the midst of that generation. I ask my youngest daughter's permission to share this with you today. She's downstairs for Children's Church. When I asked her, I said, hey, can I share that with the the church on Sunday? She said, well, I I, and I I actually said to her, I said, before I even tell you what I want to share, do you want to just take the risk and give me permission to share whatever the thing is without knowing what it is ahead of time? She's like, well, I'm going to be downstairs for Children's Church helping out with one of the classes, so tell me ahead of time. What is it that you're going to share? So I have her permission, but this is pretty cool. Uh, my youngest daughter is a sophomore in high school, in public high school, and she made me very proud the other day. She discovered this new school year that one of her teachers is a believer in Jesus Christ. And he doesn't make any secret about that. That's very obvious. It's very clear to his class. You know, when he was talking about some of the things or his, his favorites, he said, all right, my favorite book is the Bible. Uh, someone the other day made a comment in class that they thought that they heard a trumpet. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm always listening for a trumpet. And then Julia said, me too. And, uh, and so he kind of knew where she was getting at. Um, But he doesn't make his faith a secret, and uh, he's also come to know that uh, that Julia is a follower of Jesus, that Julia trusts in Jesus. And he made a point, though, to tell her recently, since it's a new school year, he said, listen, uh, I'm going to be careful not to call you out about that. I'm not going to try and, and like single you out in front of your peers or anything like that. I'm not, not going to try and make a big deal about that in front of your classmates. I do think it's pretty cool to know that about you. That's where I am as well, but I'll, I'll, I'll make a point not to you know, unintentionally embarrass you in front of your friends or call you out. And I really appreciated her reply because this is what she said. She said, um, you know, I actually don't care if you do call me out about my faith in Jesus Christ. That's totally fine. You are always welcome to do that. I'm not keeping it a secret. <laughs> Isn't that great? I was like, okay. So I got her a phone. I was like, all right, let's... I was like, you get a phone. You... That's sort of true, actually. but not as, uh, not as direct and not as correlated. But anyway, let me say this as we wrap up. Uh, If you're grateful that the Lord allows you to be bold when you approach his throne, right? So just think about this. As we come before the Lord's throne with boldness, right? As we come before him in prayer, boldly and confidently accessing him in prayer, knowing that we're welcome, if if we're grateful for that, what would that look like for, for that same boldness of faith to begin showing up in the rest of your life? You know what I mean? Like the same boldness that we're willing to come before the one who spoke creation into existence. That same boldness. I mean, just think about the nature of the boldness. That you're coming before God who spoke creation into existence and sustains it, and yet you and I don't have any hesitation about just coming right into His presence and saying, Lord, my back hurts. Do you ever think about the irony of that or how strange that is? It's like... You think, like, you're bringing that to God, you know? Like, you bring that to your buddy, right? It's like, hey, my back hurts. Can you, like, stretch my arms and do a thing for me, right? It's like, no, you're bringing that before God, right? We bring our requests before God. We boldly approach His throne. What would it look like for that boldness to start creeping out in other areas of our, of our life? Meaning, would we be willing to, that, to be that kind of bold believer with our witness in the midst of this world? And would we be willing to endure critique for doing so? And I even wonder this, and I don't know if I should say it this way or not, but it's kind of what I've been thinking. Are you working harder at keeping your faith a secret than you are at making it known? Are we working harder at keeping our faith a secret than we are at making it known? Tell you what, there was ever a time when this world needed some bold witnesses for Christ... Now is that time. Don't sit around waiting for, like, the next generation to fix this. Now is the time for bold witness for Christ. And if you want to know what I really think, I believe that the church is on the cusp of a season where it's about to experience a time of testing where the nature of our faith is going to become apparent one way or another. It's going to be shown for what it is. Some will fall away. And as they fall away, they're going to demonstrate the shallow or non-existent nature of their faith in Christ. While others are going to experience testing and refinement, just like the Apostle Paul did when he was penning these words under the Spirit's inspiration. So with that in mind, I'm just curious, do you feel worried or do you feel ready? I think it's time to get ready, because what has been hidden is about to be made known. And I pray that Christ would be glorified in what comes forth from our lips and what comes forth from our lives as the mystery that He has revealed in His Word also becomes demonstrated and spoken of through our lives and through our lips. Do you feel worried or do you feel ready if the Lord calls you to be that bold witness? I do believe each of us will get that opportunity. But are we working harder at keeping our faith a secret than we are at being a bold witness for Christ? Or are we willing to stand in his power with his boldness, with spirit-empowered confidence when that moment of testing comes? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and for the things that you reveal to us in it, because we know, Lord, that these are things that we wouldn't have naturally surmised. These aren't the type of things that we would have figured out on our own. And even as Paul describes these things, he makes a point to be very clear that this wasn't something that in his own intelligence he discerned. These were things that you directly revealed to him. And you made these things known to him, and then you gave him the opportunity in the midst of the generation that he was in to make these things known. So, Lord, in the midst of our generation, we live in a season right now where we can see some darkness creeping in, in, in various areas. Lord, it's, very, it's painfully obvious to me. Lord, it just seems like there's this spiritual cloud that's over the eyes and minds of so many people. And I know, Lord, I know, Lord that generations prior to us dealt with this. But there are new challenges that our generation is being called to face. And so, Lord, I, sometimes I, I look around and I, I see the state of the church, at least in our nation, and it seems very weak to me. And I don't know if it's fair for me to say that or not, but Lord, that's the impression I have. Sometimes it seems very, very weak. So, Lord, we thank you for refinement, we thank you for testing. And we thank you for the fact that you love your church, and you've called us to love your church, just as the Apostle Paul was mindful of the fact that his love for you meant that he also should love the church. And so, Lord, as we love one another, help us to be bold in stirring one another up, but help us also to be bold in our example of what it means to live this faith out. Lord, if our brothers and sisters right now are going through a season of weakness, we pray that you'd raise some of us up to demonstrate what it looks like to be the type of people that that sometimes deal with repercussions because we're the type of people that speak up when it's not always welcomed. Paul was willing to endure that; he didn't get pats on the back from his culture when he did it. And Lord, we pray that we wouldn't be looking for a pat on the back from those that that don't even share our perspective or worldview. Lord, we pray that you'd remove that desire from our mind. Help us to to stop desiring to to be championed by people that, as of yet, do not know you, Lord. I I, I just want us to to be focused on glorifying your name, responding with gentleness and respect when you give us the opportunity to represent you. Lord, your word tells us to be gentle. Your word tells us to be respectful, so we pray that we would do that. But we do know, Lord, that even even gently and respectfully communicated truth can be provocative. And so, Lord, we pray that even in our best efforts to promote peace, to promote unity and to demonstrate Christ-centered love, even if those are not received with the intention that they are communicated. Lord, even if it gets harder and harder and harder for us to convey truth in the midst of this generation, we pray that we would come back to a portion of Scripture like this and say we're not the first. This isn't the first time. And isn't it amazing how over the course of 2,000 years, You've transformed cultures. You've caused your gospel to cross a, an ocean and multiple oceans. You've reached different languages. You've reached different cultures. Just as today we're praising you here in the state of Pennsylvania, there are people that are praising you today in Australia. There are people that are praising you today in Chile. There are people that are praising you today in China. So, Lord, we're grateful for it, but we know that that message never reaches our ears if someone didn't rely on the power of your spirit to get a little bold. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to navigate that. Help us to be wise, help us to be shrewd, and help us to be confident in you. And, Lord, help us to look forward to what you will accomplish through the lives of each and every one of us gathered in this room, or anyone who may have the opportunity to hear the teaching of your word as it's been proclaimed from this pulpit today, or anyone who may read this passage of scripture of any era, Lord, help us to be bold witnesses for you, knowing that as we have boldness, as we come before your throne, even as we're doing right this second, that we can have that same kind of loving and bold and respectful witness in the midst of our generation right now. Thank you, Lord, so much for your goodness toward us. Thank you for looking at us, we who were rebelling against you, we who had no desire for your intervention in our lives. And you reached into our lives and you said, you seem like the most unlikely candidate to the world, but I know what I'm going to do in and through you. And that's what you've been doing through us, and that's what you're going to do through other people as well. And so we're grateful, Lord, for what we're already seeing and experiencing. And we look forward to more and more and more being added to your family. So again, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege to be able to start off our week today looking at it. And thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to walk with you day in and day out. You are present with us, and we're grateful for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen.